0: This Christmas, our theme for Advent has has been that God has come down. Our theme verse is John chapter six, verse thirty-eight, which reads, "For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me." Jesus had announced that He came down from heaven. What did Jesus mean by that? What are we to understand from that statement? The people's response to Jesus' statement that I have come down from heaven is very instructive for, the, for us. In John chapter 6, verse 42, the response is this. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How then does he now say, I have come down from heaven? They understood the significance of what Jesus is saying when he stated that he came down from heaven. They knew that he was speaking of having heavenly origins. And they said, but doesn't he have earthly origins? We know his father and mother. The incarnation explains how Jesus can say that he came down from heaven. The Gospels provide us with two distinct approaches to addressing the whole aspect of the Incarnation. Matthew and Luke stress the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus, that indeed he was born of a virgin a woman who had no sexual relationships with a man. The Gospel of John stresses the pre-existence deity taking on humanity. The stress in the book of John is that the one who is called the Word has no beginning, he is eternal, and in fact is God. And this very God took upon himself flesh. John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now there is in the first four verses of the Gospel of John a very reasoned and detailed argument that Jesus is none other than the one that was the word and who took upon himself flesh. The understanding is that deity took on humanity. So this morning we're going to go through the first four verses of the Gospel of John. Phrase by phrase... And word by word, this subject matter is really deep, and it's also marvelous in the fullest sense of that word. To marvel is to uh, just be amazed and awed and overcome, and it's also to reflect with a sense of joy and, and delight. And I hope that as we reflect on these verses this morning, that we will have both of those kinds of responses that on the one hand we are awed and we are just taken aback by what is said and the other is that we might rejoice and give great thanks for what God has done. One known, well-known statement about the book of John is that it
1: is like a pool of water
0: that is safe for a child to paddle in, but deep deep enough for an elephant to swim in. Well when we want to consider the Trinity, we're definitely swimming in the deep end of the pool. We have to proceed with great caution as we speak of the Trinity or we will drown in that deep end. The Trinity is simply beyond us. We cannot fully grasp or understand the Trinity. There is nothing in all of our experience, there is nothing in all of existence that is at all akin to the Trinity. And though we cannot fully understand or really come close to fully understanding the Trinity, yet there are some important things that we can understand and we must understand and we must know. It's really important that we understand that the Bible teaches that Jesus is the God-man. And I want to unpack that thought for you this morning out of the first four verses of the book of John, how the Word, who is God, took upon himself flesh. The theme this morning are eight assertions concerning the one who is called the word. There are eight different things that we are told about the word this morning that we want to focus our attention on. The first is that the word is preexistent to creation, and is in fact eternal. The Word is preexistent to creation and is, in fact, eternal. It's found in the words in John 1.1, In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the Word. The book of John opens with a phrase that's very similar to the opening of the book of Genesis, but with one twist. Genesis opens with, in the beginning, God. John opens with, in the beginning, was the Word. And we should not miss the significance of that parallel. In the beginning, God. In the beginning was the Word. In our text, the definite article before beginning is not present. The Greek reads, in beginning was the Word, not in the beginning. Now, why is that significant? Well, the beginning speaks of a particular point in time. In the beginning is talking about the beginning of creation. Beginning in our text speaks of the time prior to creation. There are two different ways that time is measured. One is that time is measured by the solar system, the suns, the moon, the stars, resulting in days, months, and years. The second way to measure time is by events. We speak of certain events and things happened prior to that event or after that event. The most notorious is that of BCAD. We split up time by talking about B.C., before the birth, birth of Christ, and then A.D., which is abbreviation for the Latin Anno Domini, which means in the year of our Lord. So we divide up history into time before Christ was born and then everything since Christ was born. Well, in the Scriptures, time is divided into beginning everything before creation and then after beginning everything after creation this is telling us that before creation the word was there in beginning was the word we learn not only was the word preexistent creation but we also learned that the word is eternal his eternality expressed by the verb to be in verse one. It says, In the beginning was, was. There are two different Greek words that speak of existence. One Greek word means to come into existence, to come into being. Something becomes. For example, verse three, it reads in the ESV All things were made through him. Literally, all things became through him. And that's the way that the NAS translates verse 3. All things came into being by him. It speaks of their coming into existence. The other Greek word means simply to exist. And it's the verb to be. This is the verb that's used consistently in John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So in the beginning the word existed. He was. Never came into being. He was. Now just to try to get more of the importance of that simple statement. We need to go back to the informing theology of the Old Testament. We are introduced to the eternality and self-existence of God at the burning bush. In Exodus 3-2, it reads, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold the bush was burning yet it was not consumed. Now the significance of that simple little statement that the bush was burning but was not consumed is that normally when things burn, it consumes that which the fire is feeding off of. For example, you start a a wood fire. Think of a fireplace and you have your kindling and then you'd set bigger logs. And as the fire burns, you know that that log turns to ashes. For the fire is existing through the fuel of the log. And so in order for that fire to exist, it must consume the log, it turns to ashes. And we all know that if that log becomes completely consumed and you have nothing but ashes, the fire goes out. For the fire is dependent upon the log for its existence, for its fuel. In the burning bush, we have a fire, but the bush is not consumed. To illustrate the fact that God's presence is not dependent upon that Bush for its existence. Now I say that is illustrative. For as you go on in the text. In Exodus chapter 3. Moses is speaking to God and and says this. In Exodus 3.13. Then Moses said to God. If I come to the people of Israel. And they say to them. The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. It's the verb to be. That's who I am. I am. I am the self-existent one. And we know the name of Jehovah. Some pronounce it Yahweh. But Jehovah is simply the verb to be in Hebrew. He is the one who is. He is the self-existent one. Jesus said in John 8:58, "Truly, truly, I say to you, Before Abraham was, I am. And just to confuse things a little more, when the ESV translates this, before Abraham was, I am, it's really the word to become. (laughs) It's not the word for self-existence, it's the word to become. Before Abraham became, that's why the NAS translates it, before Abraham was born. I am, I am, a clear identification of himself with deity, which is why the Jewish people accused him of blasphemy. I am. In beginning, was the word. He was eternal. The second assertion is that the word is a distinct person within the Godhead, Notice verse 1. In the beginning was the word, and now we're looking at this phrase, and the word was with God. The key word here is that little preposition with, which connotates two ideas. The first is that the preposition with connotes the idea that the word was in God's presence. The word with speaks of a real actual presence. He was not in God. He was not a concept. He was not a purpose. He was not an intention. He was actually with God. He was present in eternity past. He is not an eternal emission that constantly is coming out From God. He was with God, all right? Present with God. Secondly, the word with connotes the idea of being a separate person from God. There is a distinction that's to be made between the Word and the other members of the Godhead. With connotes a separate existence and personality from the other members of the Godhead. He was with God. You see, you can be by yourself, but you can't be with yourself. Let me say that again. You can be by yourself, but you can't be with yourself. To be with someone is to be distinguished from that other someone or something. So here we have that the Word was with God, meaning that he was separate from God. But wait. You say, you're telling me that the Word is distinct from God, but the Word is God. How can that be? Well, that brings us to the third assertion, and that is that the Word is the very God, or truly God, or really God, he is not merely with God, he is God. Notice verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. There is no more emphatic way to express that the Word was very God than the way that is expressed in verse 1. As the Father is God, so too the Word is God. Now, at this point, I need to make an aside. For some of you may have come in contact with Jehovah's Witnesses over the years. And Jehovah's Witnesses make a big deal out of verse 1, where it says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God that when we get to this phrase, was God, that there is no definite article before God. And so the Jehovah's Witnesses in their translation translate that Jesus is a God rather than the God. Without going into a incredibly long Greek lesson this morning, let me just say to you that That is completely erroneous. It is true the article is not there, but there's a reason that the article is not present. And the reason is, it's a predicate nominative, and the word order in the Greek is, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the the order is, and God was the word. And the reason we translate it the way we do, where it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, is because of the article that's before the third statement about God. Again, without getting incredibly technical, it is the most emphatic way to make that predicate nominative equal. It is the way to say that the word is God. For God is the word. That's really what the Greek does. It's the most emphatic way in which you could express this thought. And then to go further, there are places in the Bible where Jesus is referred to as God, and the definite article is present. One of the most notable is found in John chapter 20, when Jesus, after his resurrection, appears to Thomas and the other disciples. If you remember, originally when uh, Jesus appeared to the disciples, Thomas wasn't present, and Thomas said, I won't believe unless I put my fingers into his nail prints and his his, uh, wrists and... Uh, my, uh, and the wound in his side. We read this. And after eight days, again, his disciples were within and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach here thy finger and behold my hands, and reach here thy hand and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God, both of which the article is present. The most literally translated would be, Thomas answered and said unto him, the Lord of me and the God of me. Jesus, you are my God. You are the God. So what we have so far is the assertion that the word is eternal, that the word is separate from God, and yet the word is God. So how can this one be with God and at the same time be God? We said we cannot be by ourselves. We said we can be by ourselves, but we cannot be with ourselves. The, the reason for that is because we're not a trinity. So now we are introduced to this concept of the trinity. For the trinity is one God that exists in three persons. All right? So we have one God, and there are three persons that make up the Godhead. There's God the Father... There's God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. So three persons, one God. God. And many times we truncate that in our thinking to whenever we think of God, we think of God the Father. But that's the problem with our thinking, all right? When we think of God, we need to think of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. There is one God, but the one God exists in three persons. Our Articles of Faith state, there are three persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. These three are one God, the same in substance, eternally equal in power and glory. So they are one, but yet distinct for one God existing in three persons. As I said, the Trinity is difficult to comprehend and almost impossible to explain. Now, theologians have tried over the years to come up with analogies for the Trinity, such as uh, some use the analogy of water, steam, and ice. Some use the analogy of the egg. I'm not gonna go on to any of these others because they're all terrible analogies. Don't waste your time on them because they all break down. And in fact, it's important to understand how they break down or you're soon into heresy. The reality is there's nothing else that's a trinity. So you can't make a comparison. There's not even anything close to what is a trinity. So there's nothing in our experience, there's nothing in our background there's nothing in creation that we can look to and say, now, let's understand the Trinity by looking at, no, there's nothing to look at. <laughs> the Trinity is unique. So we have to content ourselves with trying to get our minds around what the Word is teaching us. And what we need to understand is there's one God, three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. This appears in our text in John 1.18. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Now that's really, really important, verse 18. The only God who is at the Father's side <clears throat> now the King James makes that the, the son who's at the father's side but literally it is translated for that's what the Greek says there's the only God who is at the father's side only God meaning the only begotten God the one and only God so there is this clear statement about now at least two members of the Trinity in verse 18. When we're talking about God, we're talking about the Father. We're talking about the Son, both of whom are God. The fourth assertion is that the word always was God, verse 2. He was in the beginning with God. The King James translates it, the same was in the beginning with God. The one who is the Word, the one that we've been talking about all along, is the one who in the beginning was with God. It's a reiteration of this same truth. But the point is that the Word did not become God. The Word did not at some point take on this nomenclature of being God. He always was God. He was eternally God. He did not at some time assume the position, title, or authority of God. He did not rise to the state of being God. You see, he didn't just take on a different form. That's what's wrong with with water and steam and ice. It is not that he became God. He was God from beginning. The fifth assertion is that the Word is the creator God. Verse 3. All things were made through Him. Talking about the Word. All things were made through the Word. This universe, this world, even the matter of this world, is not eternal. It came into existence. I've said it many times, let it be my last breath as I'm leaving, all right, that you have to believe in something that's eternal. Science says it's matter, for its very definition of matter is that it cannot be created nor destroyed. So don't let anybody mock you for believing in a God and eternal and saying to you, where did God come from? Who made God? Well, You say to the other person, well, who made matter? Where did matter come from? Something has to be eternal. Something always had to exist. And this teaches us that the Word is the one through whom everything else exists. So the NES translates it, all things came into being by Him. All things came into existence by the Word. It's not just that He fashioned, molded, or oversaw the change of all things, he brought them into existence. There is a Latin theological term for that, which is creation ex nihilo, which means creation out of nothing. He brought all things into existence. The Trinity is involved in creation. Genesis 126, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, all plural pronouns. It's speaking of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God,
1: in totality, created all things. So, says that without the word, well, our text says that the word brought
0: all things into existence, as did the Father, as did the Holy Spirit. The sixth assertion is that the word was not created. What is verse 3? All things were made by him, and now this phrase, and without him was not anything made that was made. You see the deftness. You you see the preciseness. You see the reiteration so that there can be no confusion. Previously, we had the statement made positively. That is that everything came into existence through him. Verse 3, all things were made through him. So now we have the negative statement. And that is that without him was not anything made that was made. The point being... That the word was not made. If he made
1: everything and nothing was made without him, then he must not have been made. Which is just another way of saying he always existed.
0: You see, it keeps going around and around so that we can get our minds around what it is saying. It is saying that the word always existed, the
1: Word always was God, and the Word did what God does. The seventh assertion is that the Word is the source of life. Verse 4, in Him was life. In Him was life. The word is the very source of life. He is the one who breathed into Adam and Eve life. Now, why is this so important? Because Jesus asserts at the death of Lazarus, when
0: everyone is weeping and wailing about Lazarus' death, Martha comes out to meet him, and Jesus
1: says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. This Jesus, who is the God-man, this jesus who is god in the flesh says i am the source of life
0: john 1 3 in him was life and jesus is not just the source of physical life he's the source of spiritual life he's the source of all life and life comes by him through him so we have the words that we all know in John 14:6 Jesus said unto them I am the way
1: I am the truth and I am the life Jesus is the life
0: or the Word is the one that brings life. The eighth assertion
1: is that the Word took on humanity. Look at verse 14. John 1:14. And the
0: Word, this eternal, self-existent God, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we... I've seen the glory. The glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. In verse 14, we learn that the Word became something that He previously was not. For it tells us in verse 14 that the Word became.
1: You see, the become speaks of coming into existence. The God-man wasn't eternal. The man came into existence. Jesus was born. His humanity began at his birth.
0: The Virgin Mary conceived. She actually conceived. She
1: actually gave birth to a child. Jesus wasn't cloned. If Jesus were cloned, he'd be a woman. He wasn't cloned. Jesus didn't just take on the appearance. He didn't just look like a human being. He actually took upon himself a human nature. He became something he wasn't. That is, a man. But he was the God-man or it was the word who took on humanity the word did not cease being god and the man did not prevent god from being god and being a god did not prevent him from taking on humanity mind boggling yes Marvelous. Incredible. And here's the most incredible thought, at least for me it is, is to realize that the Word took upon Himself flesh for all eternity future. It's the God-man
0: who rose from the dead It's the God-man who sits at the right throne of the Father. It's the God-man who's coming back. We will see him whom he pierced. When When you think of that humiliation of coming down, to think that it wasn't just temporary, it wasn't just for a moment, it wasn't just for 33 years that the Son of God took upon himself
1: humanity. But it was for all eternity future. that he is the god man and he did it for us so that we could have eternal life
0: John uh, excuse me Galatians 4 4 and 5 says but when the fullness of time was come god sent forth his son born of a woman there are the two natures coming together god sent forth his son the word and was born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those that were under the law that we might receive adoption as sons, that we could occupy this wonderful, blessed place. This was accomplished by the virgin birth, which is given to us in Matthew and Luke. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin. Betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph for the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The, angel, the angel's message is, and behold, you will conceive in your womb. You will have a child. You will conceive. You will become pregnant. It's not just that magically this body appears, and he's taking on just the form of humanity, real human, develops in the womb, and the fullness was time she brought forth, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger. Well, she asked the question that we all ask, and the angel and Mary said to the angel, "How will this be since I'm a virgin? How is this going to happen since I've had no sexual relationship with a man?" And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, the power of the Most High will overshadow you, therefore the child to be born will be called
1: holy, the Son of God. God God-man. God-man. Our text also tells us in verse 4 that not only in him was life but
0: the life was the light of men. That light is Revealing to us the person of God, the truth of God. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. The word became flesh, dwell among us, and we have seen the glory, glories of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. So, in conclusion, why does this matter? This is not just an academic
1: exercise this morning. Now, this this isn't just something of which we try to demonstrate.
0: The deep things of God is not something to, to just satisfy our idle consciences.
1: But what we're we're saying really really matters this morning. Remember, our theme verse has been John six thirty eight.
0: For I came down from heaven not to do my own will but the will of Him who sent me. We haven't looked at the context, so let me give you the context. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up at the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. Believing in Jesus is the way that one has eternal life. The purpose of the book of John is to bring people to believe in Jesus. That is the whole purpose of the book of John. It's given to us in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. Now, Jesus did many signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. So Jesus did so many things that you just couldn't have
1: written it all down. But these are written that you may believe. So the reason
0: that the book of John is given, so these things are written down, is that you might believe. And notice what it says. That you might believe, first, that Jesus is Christ. You might believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the Deliverer. Jesus is that one that has been promised from the beginning of the ages, back even in the garden when Adam was told that Eve was going to have a child and that child would bruise the head of the serpent.
1: It's it's talking about the Messiah that's coming. It's talking about the Savior, the deliverer. Jesus is the Savior. You might believe that Jesus is the Christ and secondly, the Son of God the Son of God,
0: that you believe that this Savior is the God-man. Or if he were not the God-man, he couldn't be the Savior. So you believe that he is the God-man. And then thirdly, that by believing you have life in his name. That you believe that through faith, you will
1: have the life that this God-man can give you. For that is why he came into this world, to give us eternal life. John
0: 17, 3. This is life eternal, that they may know thee the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. That for all eternity future, we are going to be in the presence of the triune God. And for all eternity future, we are going to marvel as we understand
1: more and more and more and more of what the Son of God, the Word, did in saving us. That God would come down to us.
0: By taking upon himself humanity in order to save us from our sins, to identify fully with
1: us, so that we could have eternal life. So, this morning, you believe in this Jesus, you believe that he is the Savior. You believe that he's the son of God, the God-man, and that believing in him, you can have life. And only by believing in him.
0: Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. May God help us to understand more and more and to rejoice more and more as we think of God coming down to us. I have come down from heaven. Let's pray. Almighty God, we pray for any that is here this morning that perhaps never, ever trusted in the Lord Jesus as their Savior. May this be that day. And Lord, help us all as we marvel, as we reflect, to at least understand today that your Scripture clearly, clearly,
1: clearly is declaring in a variety of ways... That the Word is very God. That the Word did all that God does. That the Word
0: is distinct in the Godhead. That there are three persons. God
1: the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And the Word took upon himself flesh so that we could have life we'd have it more abundantly. Lord, we thank you for your word and we thank you for its clarity.
0: And Lord, we pray that you would help us in our faith, increase our understanding, increase our ability to comprehend. And Lord, grant us faith in what we don't understand and what we cannot relate to. And we look forward to that day when we will know fully, even as we are fully known. For
1: it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.